I feel like having been a patient who went through yeah. what yeah. I went through mm-hmm. made me a better doctor. Right. I really, I really feel that way. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Boat. Hey, y'all. This week on the podcast, Lindsay and I get to chat with functional medicine doctor Sarah Bomar. Dr. Sarah is a brilliant clinician and actually a pretty good friend of OnSite. She serves the clients of Milestones, OnSite's residential trauma program, alongside her brother, medical director and psychiatrist, Dr. Neil Bomar. I was so excited to get to chat with Dr. Sarah about how she unconventionally became a functional medicine doctor. Her story is absolutely incredible. While working as a resident physician in a highly competitive residency at Vanderbilt, Dr. Bomar developed a back injury that was expected to respond to a fairly routine surgery. But instead of recovering, she became more and more debilitated, was prescribed a motorized reclining wheelchair and a walker for mobility, and suffered an enormous amount of pain. As a shadow of her former self, her role as a patient was hard for her to accept. She actually walked into the role of a patient and had to leave being a doctor behind. It would take eight years to receive a correct diagnosis and yet six more years for a treatment that would actually allow her to walk again and live with significantly less pain. She's going to tell her story that is so full of hope, advocating for herself, and a whole lot of risk. She shares how her time as a patient has changed the way that she approaches medicine and how she helps her clients find the solutions to their problems as a functional medicine doctor. So excited for you to hear her story and also to dive into the conversation that we have towards the back end all about the mind-body connection. So, so excited to be here with you today, Sarah, and to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you. I know that I personally have benefited so much from your expertise and our clients at Milestones in particular have benefited so mm-hmm. much from sort of how you think about their health holistically. And so just excited for our listeners to learn from you today. I appreciate that very much. I was thinking starting out, I've kind of heard bits and pieces of the story that mm-hmm. sort of was the mm-hmm. impetus for you delving into functional medicine as a practice, but would love to hear mm-hmm. more about mm-hmm that journey of in your own personal health story? Sure, absolutely. So I was in my residency at Vanderbilt. I was in radiology. And part of residency involves standing up, wearing lead aprons, especially during our interventional oh, yeah. procedures. Mm-hmm. And I had degenerative disc disease that resulted in a rupture of that disc and was in good shape. And just did not expect to have any adverse, you know, outcomes at all. Went and had this surgery. And I think because I had been like working through all of this and just kind of was go, go, go. My doctor at that time, my surgeon at that time said, listen, I want you to be really careful. I want you to be off your feet. Mm -hmm. I, you know, don't want you to do much. And so I think I was concerned also about that as well. And so I really laid off moving around. And ultimately, what what happened was I was noticing 
pain down my opposite leg, Mm. different than it had been before my surgery. And I was concerned about that, really couldn't, you know, make heads or tails of why I would have worse pain and down the opposite leg. Initially, when they looked at my MRI, they thought I had a congenital anomaly, something called a conjoined nerve root Mm. that was, that had developed on the left, but it that kind of didn't really make sense because if it were congenital, why had we not seen it before? But all that to say, went through physical therapy, injections, had a lumbar, a puncture, had to have a blood patch. These are kind of technical things, but all we that to everything. say, we went through every possibility, yeah. tried everything. And could not understand why I couldn't get better. Like I say, I was in great shape prior to this happening, was pushed really hard in physical therapy, and I was just getting worse and worse and worse. Mm. And in fact, I went into inpatient physical therapy, walking, and came out using a walker and a wheelchair. That's got to be discouraging. I I just could not even wrap my head around it. Yeah, It was... It, it just, it shook my world to the core. Yeah. And then, of course, my doctors didn't really know what was going on. Mm-hmm. They, you know, kind of put me under the general umbrella of failed back surgery. But interestingly, I was having some vascular issues, like some swelling and mm. redness, of this left leg that had not been the problem beforehand. And I was put on pain meds. I did not do well with that. I didn't function well with that. And I'll tell you, it was depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It was so depressing. I was not able to go on with my work. We tried to bring me back to work and then... I had gotten worse Mm -hmm. with sitting. And that was the thing that was so horrible was that I couldn't sit up without having a lot of pain Mm -hmm. just after sitting up for 15 minutes. Mm. So at that time, my physical therapist said, you need a reclining motorized wheelchair because, you know, to even to push your own wheelchair, you have to sit up to do that. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't do that. So I had one that reclined and I mean, thank goodness there was that such a thing, you know, at that time. But but still, I just couldn't be really active and engaged in life in a very significant way. What was kind of the timeline of that? Like surgery to being in this type of wheelchair? So that's a great question. So my surgery was, and I'll never forget it because it was on my daughter's my youngest birthday, June 4th, 2000. And then beginning in the end of 2001 and into 2002, that's when my Mm. physical therapy just took a turn for the worst. The more that I tried to push myself and do all of that, the worse I got. And there were visible abnormalities as well. And just terrible, terrible pain. And uh, so went back to to physicians, didn't really know what to do. Still, I was very incapacitated. 
and having to deal with pain. And the way that I did was by lying down all the time in a a cold, dark room. So that was just really sucking the life out of my life. Yeah, <laughs> so to speak. in a season when you had kids and exactly, exactly needing to be present in yes. your career and pulled in a hundred directions. That's right. That's right. That feels so defeating. It was a very t- tough, tough season. I had a neighbor down the street from me who was a microbiologist and just a really bright man. He was also an inventor. Oh, cool. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, we all need neighbors so like we that. We need neighbors like that, exactly. And he was in a wheelchair. Oh. And he'd had a traumatic spine injury and was paralyzed from the waist down for years. And we would, you know, talk science together and and he had a normal bone density. And I was just amazed as to how he was able to maintain that in the situation that mm-hmm. he was in. And he had a vibration board, hmm. and this vibration board allowed his bones to respond in a positive way. And there, there's a lot more research on that out, uh, out there now about the stimulation of osteoblasts and bone formation through vibration. And, and he had actually created a platform, and he said, listen, let, let me share this with you because, you know, this is going on yeah. with you right now, I'm sure. So, so it's like a board that you lay on? You could you could put your, your feet on or you could sit on it and it vibrated and would increase spin density. And so I thought, you know what, at least I'm going to get a handle on this. And so I took it home and tried it and my pain went through the roof. Mm. And I was so discouraged, but I thought, wait a minute. This could be a clue as to what's going on with me. And in, yeah. in medicine, we often learn, memorize whatever the first five symptoms of some disease, but we may not know like what's 10 down on the list. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, this could be a clue. Once I kind of got over yeah. my defeat over the over that process. And so I looked in something called C- uh, CRPS, complex regional pain syndrome Hmm. does have an inability to tolerate vibration. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I have CRPS plus something else, you know, is that possible? So I just imagine as a doctor, this was so frustrating because you're, you're probably your brain's constantly going like, I want to find the solution. I want to find the solution. And all these doctors are not bringing you answers. It's right. In fact, they're looking at me askance. I mean, I I felt, and that's a great point because, because I felt so trapped in that I had something going on with me Mm. that no one could figure out. Plus I am a physician myself. And then you also kind of get the askance look from your own community, you know, Mm -hmm, your own professional community. So it was really kind of demoralizing. But I reached out to a friend of mine and and his wife were both physicians and he was an anesthesiologist at Vanderbilt. Mm. And And I had both of them over. I'd known her for years, good friend of mine. And I said, I want to tell you all my symptoms. And I just, if you could just listen to me and if you could just, Tell me what 
comes to your mind, you know, as we're talking. He said, I want you to go see the chair of nurse surgery at Vanderbilt. And he's a real thinker. I mean, he's not just great in his surgical skills, but he also is considers and is thoughtful and, and just a really bright guy. So he got me in to see him. So let me tell you, so the surgery started in 2000. This is 2008. Oh my gosh. So eight and, years. And in 2008, I go see Dr. P. Conrad, who's chair of nurse surgery at Vanderbilt. And he takes a good long time with me. Mm-hmm. And he starts saying this word arachnoiditis as he's examining me. And I'm thinking, I never had an infection. You know, is that, that doesn't make word? sense. It's a spider word. Okay. That's <laughs> why I was like, oh, arachnoid. Yes, arachnoid does mean spider. Okay. But arachnoiditis refers to a layer that surrounds the spinal cord okay. that looks like a network of webs but typically it's due to you know what what we are familiar with in medicine is due to infection I hadn't had anything like that happen Mm. so I thought what is going on anyway he did some more tests on me and was extremely thorough and did a particular test in a different way he said this totally makes sense is you have arachnoiditis, adhesive arachnoiditis, and you also have CRPS. And this ah. was the thing. I wondered if I had two things two going things. on because yeah. as a whole, my symptoms didn't really make sense. And and so then what do I do? Of course, I'm Googling this and yeah. figure, trying to figure this out and everything. So I was scared, mm-hmm. but I was thankful to have a diagnosis that was correct. And I thought, you know what? And I tell my patients this all the time. Knowledge is power. We have to know. Let's not run from whatever this is. Let's, you know, press Mm -hmm. in and see what else we can do. And so, you know, from that point in time, I reached out to Johns Hopkins, to the man who originally diagnosed arachnoiditis several years before. So did you have arachnoiditis when you had the original surgery back in 2000, or was it kind of as a result of? Yes, I think it was as a result of that surgery, but we were probably seeing early radiographic signs even then. And then when we did more studies in 2008, then it was like, oh yeah, this is what this is. So I reached out to Johns Hopkins. They didn't really have a whole lot to offer. So I had read, you know, scholarly articles about things that were related, but not exactly like Mm -hmm. arachnoiditis, like multiple sclerosis, and even something called epidural fibrosis, and found a drug that crossed the blood-brain barrier that Mm. could potentially help me, and had gotten on that, presented that material to Vanderbilt, and they put me on that drug, had also gotten in touch with some functional medicine physicians. At that time, I didn't really know that term, yeah. yeah, frankly. But I found out I had a severe vitamin D deficiency and a severe B12 deficiency. Mm. And so I uh, had found some information from Mayo Clinic about the use of high doses of vitamin D for multiple sclerosis. And, you know, so, I mean, you know, really 
looking maximized at all, all yeah. that. Just kind of looking diet wise, was trying to avoid sugar and avoid it in processed foods and, mm-hmm. you know, trying to eat more of an anti-inflammatory diet, all of those things. And had gotten into some physical therapy on an underwater treadmill and could just do a few minutes on an underwater treadmill. And the thing about the underwater treadmill is it unloads your axial loading of your spine like by about 75 to 80% water mm-hmm. up to your chest. And so I was trying to do that. And I'd go home if I pushed myself too hard on that. I would like be in bed for three days. So was trying so many things, had a wonderful support community in my family because I was quite frankly, you know, going through a lot of anger issues and a lot of, you know, hopelessness and so forth. And so that was super, super helpful to have that kind of support. So I was doing everything that I could and, I would drive sometime to this times at this park in my mobility van <laughs> just to have a change of scenery. And it was about, you know, five minutes from our house. And I was would sit in the back of my car and I called my mom one day from that mobility van. And I said, Mom, I feel like I have done everything. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what else I can do. Yeah. And I said, I just, I need a miracle. Yeah. I need a miracle. And I kid you not, later that day, my dad calls me. He had been in a jewelry store in my little hometown of Shelbyville, Tennessee, (laughs) and talked to Mr. Hornbuckle, who owns the jewelry store, whose daughter had CRPS. Mm. And my dad was talking to him, hey, how's Addie? You know, how's she doing? He said, well, you know, the darndest thing. She's in Arizona, and she was using a walker and a wheelchair because of her CRPS, and she had stem cell treatment, and she is walking now independently. And I'm going to tell you, over the years, many people have said, have you tried this? Have you tried this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took it. Kind of with a grain of salt, yeah, would yeah. look into it, you know, that kind of thing. But maybe it's because of what the conversation I just had with my mom that day. Yeah. But I said, okay, what's the number? And I picked up the phone and I called. Yeah. It just, I felt like maybe this, this is, is for me. This is yeah. for me. This mm-hmm. is like, this is a miracle. And so, anyway, I talked to uh, Dr. Malin out in Arizona. He had had some patients who didn't have arachnoiditis per se, but they had had radiation to the spinal cord Mm -hmm. or cancer, and they were doing extremely well. Uh, One of them was doing great, Mm -hmm. and the other patient was had improved, could at least do independent transfers, did not have urinary incontinence, all these other things. So the and the other guy was actually running. Oh so wow. I That's thought, okay, <laughs> this is it. So we, you know, we just kind of had a family powwow and decided to go for it in August the 29th, the day after my birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, 2014. Wow! I went out and had it done, and um, and like, what is it? 
Yes. So it's fascinating. They extracted stem cells from my fat. Okay. So they did a mini liposuction, about a third of a cup. Mm-hmm. And then they are able to extract that mechanically and enzymatically. They're able to extract those stem cells. And then I was given a an IV medication to help the stem cells go in into my spine, cross that blood-brain barrier. And so they gave me that injection plus the stem cell injection in a peripheral IV. And then he additionally had some stem cells left over and injected those directly into my left foot. And he got a bumper crop of stem cells. It was amazing. And he said, we usually don't get this count this high, but this is really great for you. Yeah. And he said, I think it's all those things that you were doing. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, those the lifestyle, lifestyle things, and yeah. supplement things that were helping. And so anyway, I had that done and we stayed out there for just a few days after it was done and then came home and it was Labor Day in 2014 and my mom and my sister-in-law drove up to see how I was doing. <laughs> and my mom looked at my foot and she said, your foot already looks better. Mm. The color in it, it doesn't look so ashy. It looks more pink. Not like alive. I know, exactly. Hey friends, I am so excited to share some news with you. This week, we're releasing the first episodes in a limited series podcast from Onsite called Treating Trauma. You can join us for weekly conversations with trauma experts and world-class clinicians from Milestones, our one-of-a-kind holistic and specialized residential trauma treatment experience. Hosting alongside Milestones Executive Director Christopher O'Reilly, together we explore how unresolved experiences from our past can interfere with the demands of our present, impact our relationships, and hold us back from the future we want to live. Treating Trauma offers a unique look at how various healing methods and trauma treatments can offer a path toward recovery, growth, and wholeness. We are so proud of this series, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. I know that it's going to be a valuable resource and meet you where you're at. So join us right here in the Living Centered Podcast feed this Wednesday, August 3rd, for Treating Trauma. It was really encouraging to start to see those things happen. And even in that, when I went to PT, the PT place where I had been on the underwater treadmill, I was able to do that longer. And mm. so that was great. But I'll tell you, it was kind of interesting. I'd go up, you know, I'd make some strides and then I've, I'd kind of plateau and then go, is this all that it's going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I'd push a little bit more and then I'd go up and hit a plateau. Mm. And then, but then pretty soon, you know, I was in a better place. And I'll, I have to say, Sometimes I would have a scare, you know, yeah. and I would get I would get discouraged and my husband would tell me you're not allowed to think like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it, you know, it was just really good. You know, I was just so thankful. But when when I would start to doubt, you know, then that's where, you know, my community came in and really helped me. So I started walking independently around January the 4th. Of 2015, okay. and I started weaning myself off of the wheelchair and the walker at that 
point in time. So I four remember, or five months after you had this stem yes, cell, you were walking independently. I was I was walking independently. And by May, my husband took my mobility van in to a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, Oh, we're so sorry. He said, Why? He they said, Well, your, did your wife pass away? And he said, oh, no, she's walking. And they were like, oh, my gosh. That's did we never hear that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, and then I talked to my chair of the department, former chair, my former residency director at Vanderbilt, and they were like, come back. We want How long had it, back. Been, had it been? Like 14 years since you'd worked? So, or yeah. I guess technically for about 14 because this was now 2015. Mm-hmm. So that was just amazing. That was amazing to, oh, be it's able amazing. to get back. Yeah. And so I was uh, working in residency at Vanderbilt and but I started having some swelling mm. <laughs> in my lower extremity and we ruled out clot and you know it's just that the pace of residency is much more demanding mm-hmm. than just even kind of a regular job. I just felt like it was better for my health to do something at a different pace. And yeah. so that's yeah. when I went back and got primary, you know, more primary care exposure mm-hmm. and decided I'm doing functional medicine because this brought me as far as where I am now. Yeah. And went back and got certification through Cleveland Clinic to two year program mm-hmm. and uh, took that board exam and and just went with something that I felt was a great fit for me and really allowed me a lot of hands-on patient care that mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had yeah. in radiology. So it's been a great fit and it's been an exciting ride. And, and I feel like having been a patient who went through yeah. what yeah. I went through, mm-hmm made me a better doctor. Right. I really, I really feel that way. Yeah. So I get all kinds of people who are on sports teams who come to see me and people who are suffering and ill who mm-hmm. come to see me. I just see the whole gamut of patients and I love the challenge of all of it. That's awesome. When you're telling your story, I was thinking about that show House. Yes. Did you ever watch that? Yes. But just the idea that you know, some premise after premise of that show was like somebody had this like crazy thing and all these symptoms and then they tried to like figure out how they all fit together. Right. And it feels so rare in the current medical mm-hmm. model that people actually take the time to really hear all the mm-hmm. symptoms, one, and then two, try to figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together. So I'm so grateful for you and the spot that you found because in functional medicine, you kind of get to do that. You do. You you get to take that time, and you look at get to look at all environmental factors. And my initial appointment with all my patients is an hour and a half, and we get their records in from outside, mm-hmm. and we we look at the entire milieu for that patient, and get to look at labs that are, you know, a little more esoteric as well, but very targeted to that patient and important for that patient. So I love the model Mm -hmm. that allows us to really 
look deeply into that person's health and broader health situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky that I've gotten to experience it <laughs> as a patient. After I had my baby, I was just feeling so tired and that it was yeah. so helpful. One, for you to just t- spend the time with me and ask the questions that no one really ask anymore. And even like the, like the, there's like a full, kind of a body exam where you check out, you know, like feel, look at my feet and things like that. And I was like, nobody takes this kind of care and attention. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I appreciated it so much. You are so welcome. So. And, and I love that physical exam, that detailed physical exam that we get to do because it's giving us clues. Yep. And, you know, and I see this in other patients, <laughs> you know, where these clues are really overlooked when someone has to have a, you know, maybe max 15-minute appointment. Yeah. yeah. And it's giving us information right there. And that's, the physical exam is kind of an underutilized tool in medicine yeah. these days, quite frankly. Well, and so often, like, I'm not a verbal processor in general, but it, especially around my health, it's so hard for me to have words to describe mm. sometimes what's happening in my body. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that happens concurrently is I don't, I, it, there's so much that I rationalize as, yeah. oh, that's just normal aging. And so yes. like being encouraged, having somebody ask questions and being encouraged to give voice to things like, mm. oh, I wake up stiff in the morning and, you know, like things mm. like that is so helpful and not something that I'm used to practicing. Mm. And, you know, that's a that's a great point. And given who we see at Milestones and Onsite, mm-hmm. especially in the patient who's dealt with trauma and has pushed that down for yeah. such a long time, it is even more important. And kind of those typical ways that one has felt a voice to yeah. give mm. those in the past, it's just not been... You know, it's not comfortable for the for that person, and there's not been enough time and space allowed for that person hmm. to even give voice to that. So that's a great point. I think yeah. the strategic questions too, like that's what I was thinking and hearing, is that we just operate in our bodies and this is our normal, and we don't question, like you were saying, I rationalize, mm-hmm. or if someone has experienced mm-hmm. severe trauma, like they have pushed that down, and so giving mm-hmm. people the space. And asking the right questions to say, mm-hmm. oh, this isn't normal or this is outside of that, I think is such a gift because we need that. We need that permission to question and ask and we even do. to know that something could be wrong. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And you talked so much in your story. What I kept thinking is you continued to advocate for yourself. You continued to show up and try something new and ask these questions and study. And I also would make up that emotionally that would have been so hard to maintain. Mm -hmm. And what did that look like for you emotionally as you continue Mm -hmm. to advocate for yourself and continue to be hopeful and say, maybe this time, maybe this time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm a bird dog and Mm -hmm. I tell my patients, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I am, that's, I think some people are kind of born with that. I think you can develop that though. Absolutely. And so I'm just, that's kind of how I'm wired. Yeah. That can be Good. It has its good points and it's it's not so good points sometimes. But I would say, you know, just kind of from a personality standpoint, Mm -hmm. that's probably helpful. I had a wonderful psychiatrist Mm. who walked 
through me through all of this and believed me. And I remember at one point just even telling him, please, if I am misinterpreting anything, I just, if this is all psychiatric, I want to know that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really want to know that. Yeah. yeah and and just to not be afraid of what you're going to, you know, uncover and and to try to walk through that is so important. And I I'll just from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. my my faith as a Christian really was central to hanging in there yeah, even yeah. during the darkest times. But there were really dark times. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just have to say. And someone who came and brought me a casserole <laughs> <laughs> told me this. this is what wonderful lady. She said, you know, at the core of the sadness about this is it's a loss of identity. Yeah. Mm. And and I think as human beings, we put our identity in so many things, good things, you know, even excellent things. And when that all changes, it's really hard. Yeah. It's like, so what is my identity now? You right. know, and this may not be the identity that I wanted. And what do I do with that? Mm. And just kind of really doing those deep existential <laughs> dives that you have to do yeah. Yeah. about, am I more than who what I do yeah. and who people think that I am? And coming out and saying, yes, I am, mm-hmm. you know. That's hard. That's really. Still kind of checks yeah, me up a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Relevant for all of us. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. like all of our work. It's it so is. easy yes. to latch on to whatever mm-hmm. the thing is, whether it's like our jobs or being a mother or yes. being sick or being well. Yes. And like, yes. who who are we under all of that? And when things start to shift. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I love walking that path with people from all kinds of backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like ultimately we kind of get to those questions, really, some more with some people than others, you know, kind mm-hmm. of depending. But I think as a, I hate to use the term healthcare provider, but <laughs> as someone who walks with people on yeah. their health journey. Caretaker, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Those are things that we shouldn't be afraid to walk into with our patients. Yeah. Absolutely. It's at the core. really, regardless of what the outcome is. I know your story probably is going to resonate with our listeners in different ways, but I'm sure that there are people out there who, uh, like you, have like unexplained symptoms or pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just am curious, uh, uh, being on the other side of it, what would you say your advice to them would be? Mm -hmm. You know, it is looking for the good and today being honest about all of the problems that you face today. Yeah. yeah. But yet keeping an eye toward hope for the future. Yeah. yeah. You know, you have to be realistic about what you're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. But 
we live in a day and a time where discoveries are made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there's potentially hope, even in ways that you might not expect. Maybe that hope comes not just from the physical, but from the emotional, mm. the spiritual, etc. So being able to keep your heart and mind open yeah. to the possibilities that lie ahead, but being very practical about today mm-hmm. as well and what needs to be done now. It really struck me in your story, sort of when you felt like you were at the end of your rope calling your mom and saying, like, I need a miracle. Even that expression is mm-hmm. like hopeful. Mm. Yeah. In some way, you know, mm. and and mm. you let brought someone in to that of like, hey, I'm not, I'm struggling here. Mm-hmm. And and that's so brave and hard to do <laughs> for so many of us to admit, like, we're we mm-hmm. we need help around this. And mm. both from people in this world and from higher powers and things like that. Yeah. 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 I w- I'm so thankful that I could have that conversation with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Says a lot about her. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, I was just continually struck, I think, by the hopefulness of it all. So thank you for sharing your story. I think it will resonate with a lot of people. Um, we have talk to you in different settings about kind of that mind-body connection. Mm. And I'm wondering, I I thought we've had threads of that throughout this, of why do we need to look holistically at our health and why has that become something that you've really dived into in the last, you know, decade or so about caring for both your mental and physical and why can we not separate them? Mm -hmm. I just, I love when you talk about that and I love the ways that so many of us don't even think about, like you talked about a vitamin D deficiency and I know Mm that you and Dr. Neil Bomar talk a lot about that mm-hmm. and how that's connected to a lot of depressive symptoms. And mm-hmm. so I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about that and some of the work that you do with Milestones. Sure, absolutely. Yes, because you can't, like you say, you you can't really tease that apart. And mm-hmm. so people come to Milestones ostensibly for, <laughs> you know, their, their psychological health, but mm-hmm. we know that so many other things in the physical realm, impact us psychologically and vice versa. Yeah. And so as far as, yes, yeah, simple things like vitamin D, B12, my B, I remember my B12 level was so low that, you know, when I, when I looked up how low it was, it's, it can even be associated with psychosis at that oh, level. Oh, wow. So, you know, we we just don't give enough credence to these things, yeah. you know, and, and the potential impact of those, you know, with, with a lot of patients because I want my patients to sleep and poop <laughs> correctly, you yeah. know. The so most just important really things. simple. I mean, as a mom, Lindsay, right. you know, oh, it's important. It, it's no different. It, and as a mom, yeah. <laughs> Kenzie, it's no different, you know, uh, for, for adults as well. And so we do really look at that gut-brain axis Mm. and that mind-body connection. And there is so, I mean, so much more information on that. Even, you know, like certain strains of bacteria in the gut Mm -hmm. that that affect things like anxiety, like bifidobacterium longum. And this is not just something that we're saying. This is something that academic research dollars are going to. So the fact that you're 80 to 
to 90% of your immune system is housed in your gut. The fact that your body's need for neurotransmitters mm-hmm. is heavily determined by what's going on in your gut, that probably 80% of your serotonin is made in your gut. So there are so many ways that we can come along mm-hmm. and really look at how we can augment all yeah. the good things that the therapists are doing, you know, and Dr. Neal are doing at yeah. Milestones. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. And I just, I really hope people walk away just feeling some more agency and some more hope today that they can advocate for themselves. And we appreciate you and the work that you're doing. Thank you all. I really have loved this today. And I appreciate you letting me talk about Mm -hmm. everything. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) My journey to what I do now. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.